Today's show is brought to you by HANA. For the past few years, I've been taking HANA One, an all-natural daily superfood with 30 wild-harvested herbs and adaptogens to improve focus, boost immunity, and increase stamina. HANA also sources the purest, highest-quality ashwagandha and turmeric. To get 20% off your first purchase, visit HANA.com, that's H-A-N-A-H.com, and enter the code CHAMPION20. Hello and welcome to the Champion Conversations podcast, where my co-host, sports psychologist Jim Aframo, and I take you inside the mental game of high performers. If you've ever wanted to learn how elite athletes, coaches, creators, and entrepreneurs use their mindset to overcome setbacks, serve as great leaders and teammates, and achieve their full potential, then you've come to the right place. I'm Phil White, and we're glad you're listening today. Today's guest is Patrick McKeown. He is the best-selling author of The Oxygen Advantage, Atomic Focus, and, most recently, The Breathing Cure. Patrick is also the creator and master instructor of The Oxygen Advantage Technique. He is one of the world's leading breathing re-education experts. Whether you're a weekend warrior, an Olympic athlete, or anywhere in between, Patrick's methods provide a fast, simple, and scientific way to revolutionize your sports performance and improve your daily well-being and health. Patrick, thanks for joining us today. You're very welcome. It's good to be here, Jim and Phil. I'd love to hear more about your brand new book, Atomic Focus. It looks fantastic. Uh, it looks like a book that uh, all of us can really benefit from, uh, especially athletes and uh, others in uh, you know, achievement domains. I, Atomic Focus was probably the more enjoyable book to put together. It's As any book is, you're always going to bring in your own personal experience. And I was a kid growing up with asthma and with a stuffy nose. And if you have a stuffy nose, your sleep is impacted. So having undiagnosed sleep apnea and trying to concentrate and focus in school and university and so much pressure on kids to do that. So society demands that we're able to concentrate and to achieve a good education, we need to be able to concentrate, but education doesn't teach us how to concentrate, nor does society. So when we're thinking about being able to hold our attention on one thing and Mindfulness doesn't do it either for the very person who needs it the most. I had dysfunctional breathing patterns. I was a fast breather. I was an upper chest breather. I had disrupted sleep. Like I left school at 14, never to go back. And just as life happens, I went back one year later. But the reason that I left was out of such a sense of frustration that you're in there sitting down for six or seven hours a day and you're not able to place your attention and hold your attention on the curriculum. And of course, Frustration can set in and then the teacher, you know, is not going to think of you fondly. So I got through my school system and into university and then I came across functional breathing in my late 20s. And um, that was it. You know, that's 20 something years ago now and it completely changed my life. So it, it's it's really that one thing, Jim, that dysfunctional breathing you know, it can affect 75% of the anxiety and panic disorder population, 30% of the asthma population, 50% of people with lower back pain, and about 20% of the general population. It affects women more than men. It's changed by hormones as well. And 
there's very little attention on it, even though it's out there in the literature, you know. So I think it's, it's really high time that it, it was brought a greater awareness because for sleep and for that ability to achieve that state of mind whereby you're relaxed and alert at the same time, you need functional breathing and you need sleep. And I contacted, you know, there are some very famous people in working in the, in the, the field of flow and encouraging people to get into the zone and to achieve these flow states. And I sent them an email about two months ago and I asked genuinely, do you really think people with sleep apnea can achieve flow states? Do you really think that people with dysfunctional breathing can achieve flow states? I don't think they can. Yeah, it's a really good point. And I know a couple of those people and good guys and uh, doing a lot of great work and kind of elevating that conversation. But uh, could you share a little bit more about the tie between your own anxiety and your, your struggle to focus in school and maybe even afterwards at university and, and the breath work, functional breathing? Well, I suppose anxiety is going to change breathing patterns. But if you have a faster and upper chest breathing pattern, and especially if you're breathing out fast, so I had a fast breathing rate. I would have had an upper chest breathing rate. And physiologically, you're, you've got that hyper arousal. You're, you're highly strong. I don't necessarily think I had anxiety, Phil, but I just feel that my concentration was out the window. My ability to hold my attention and, and the attention span was completely out the window. So, you know, if you think I can remember, I can give you this story. I was in, I spent three months doing an exam. I was in the university in Dublin, and um, because I'd be looking at the, at the book, but my attention, even though my eyes would be looking at the, at the page, my attention wasn't on it. And I was joined by a friend of mine. He didn't open a book 20 minutes before the exam. And he said, do you have some notes there? And I said, yes. I handed him my notes. And I remember him absolutely steadfast with 100% of his attention on the notes, turning the pages. And even as a 20 year old, I just felt this guy is something that I don't have. And the two of us went off and did our exam and we got the same score. So it took me three months. It took him 20 minutes. Now, the same guy was setting up a company called taxback.com. And he's worth about maybe about $800 million. So he's, he's a very successful guy. But to achieve that, he, you have to have that ability to have control over the mind and like, as I spoke about earlier on, education gives us the ability to break information into tiny pieces and to analyze and decipher and question, but it doesn't give us the ability to stop thinking. And we have to have control over our thoughts. And I remember like part of my drive was between 2010 and 2013, Ireland was on the scrappy peer economically. We had politicians that weren't fit for running a sweet shop. And everybody else that was going with it. And I was putting out courses there, bringing together mindfulness with functional breathing. And 90 to 95% of the people who turned up were females. I said, where's all the men in this? They weren't turn, turning off, but yet they were the ones that were having the greatest, hardest, the greatest difficulty with anxiety. And it's very simple, Phil, in terms of the physiology. You know, if you breathe out fast, that's a stressor. And if you breathe out slow and relax, that relaxes the body and mind. Very, very simple. It's known for many, many years, you know, in as far back as 1913, I think it was Lowy. He was able to stimulate the vagus nerve in the, in the frog. 
and the vagus nerve secreted this substance, which he called vagus stuff. And the frog's heart rate slowed down. And of course, when your heart rate is slowing down, your brain is interpreting that the body is safe. So we can influence the speed of our heart rate and we can tell the brain whether, you know, are we in a stressful environment or are we in a, you know, a state of relaxation? But it also comes to our sleep because the brain is always here to protect the body. And if we're breathing fast and hard, the brain is, all the brain wants to do is get you out of that situation. You're, you're in a difficult situation. You're, the body is under threat and the brain wants you to get out of there. So, you know, hard and fast breathing. How many people are in the Cobra world breathing hard and fast? How many people are going into competition with pre-match anxiety, with faster breathing and elevated breathing? It's not that they have a panic attack, but yes, they will be in that sympathetic arousal. How many people are going into a concert and any event, even a presentation, you know? So it's really important that we learn how to change our states. And that's what Atomic Focus is about. No, I love that. Um, Jim, I know you've done obviously a lot of work with elite athletes and actors and musicians and a lot of other top performers. Um, Is there a story maybe you can share with Patrick and I about um, the importance of breath or maybe some some tips that you've given a high performer before in terms of maybe being more aware of their breath so that then they can start to control it or regulate it better for the state they want to be in. Well, I think Patrick's really hitting the nail on the head here because a lot of, you know, there's just a lot of myths out there about proper breathing. And so a lot of times when uh, I bring up the topic of breathing with elite athletes, um, you know, uh, the response is usually, oh, I know all about that. And uh, I know how to take a, the, a proper breath. And, and I'll say, okay, let me see it. <laughs> let me see it. And it's usually a stressful breath, uh, uh, you know, either through the mouth or, uh, you know, like Patrick is saying, uh, it's not very uh, slow or relaxed. Uh, it's, it's usually hard and, and fast. And so, um, I think there's a misconception that uh, we know what we're doing uh, in terms of this topic. And uh, it's such an important topic. I think that uh, if we could clear up some of those uh, misunderstandings, we'll all benefit greatly. Um, it makes a huge difference, as Patrick is saying, in terms of just putting you, helping put yourself in the, in the right state of mind and mood. So uh, that's something that uh, I recommend Patrick's books. I, I recommend that... Um, really get familiar with this topic. And, and that's why it's so exciting that we're, uh, we're doing our small part to kind of, you know, increase the awareness of the importance of breathing properly. Mm. And sure. Jim, it's so simple that it's just, it's gone straight over people's heads. Just, just, as you said, there's an idea out there that the more air you breathe, the more oxygen that's going to be, you know, roaming around the body and getting, getting delivered to the tissues and organs, including the brain. And in many ways it could do a lot of harm and I'm sure there's plenty of people in an effort to, to calm down. They're taking these full big breaths and almost creating a state of hyperventilation. And they don't realize that the more air you breathe relative to your metabolic need, your blood vessels constrict and less oxygen gets delivered. So, so yeah, it's, it's a, an interest. It's good take. Yeah. One of the things that, um, I th- and I think I borrowed the phrase from you, so forgive me, but you should be paying you royalties. I say it a lot, but when Jim and I are, are on site consulting, say with um, an ice hockey club or soon to be a, um, 
NCAA championship winning um, softball team coming up here in, in early winter. We often tell people, look, this is a portable practice, like Kelly with the mobility or Gray Cook with the mobility to some extent, but even greater because the, one of the wonderful things about breath awareness and breath regulation is that you always have it with you and also that you can start to change your physiology, your emotional state, um, your physical state, your mental state in just a few breaths. And I think that people are, they almost disbelieve it because it's not complex enough or they just, they, well, why isn't, you know, anything else I'm doing in performance? I got this thing on my wrist. I got this thing tracking everything on my finger. I've got this, this GPS puck in the back of my rugby shirt. They want complexity. Do you think that that's part of the problem in getting the message across? Uh, I think that breathing has been taught very wrongly for decades. You know, I think if, and I don't want to put any blame on the yoga community, but the whole idea of taking this full big breath in and that's all you need to do, that's, that's not even a part of it. So there's really misconceptions about there and they haven't been cleared up. Like I remember, Phil, when I came across this by accident, I was a chronic mouth breather and I was able to decongest my nose by simply holding my breath. And that's been known since 1923, but yet nobody told me how to do it. And I was able to open up my nose and my airways start to open up at 50% less asthma symptoms in about two weeks after 20 years of having asthma. And my sleep, I taped my mouth closed at night. Now, I know I wouldn't recommend it straight off the bat, but I did it. <clears throat> I used a breed right strip to help keep the nose open and I used tape in the mouth and first morning I woke up and I don't can't really remember much of a difference but the second morning was the best night's sleep I had in about 15 years so when I started doing gentle light breathing I noticed the temperature of my hands improving and that gave me something because now I understood and also when I started really doing slow breathing and light breathing my mouth would fill with water and you'd feel drowsy. So you, you, we always know as human beings when we get stressed, our mouth gets dry and we're, it's not conducive to eating food, for example. So when we go into a state of relaxation, the body is prepared for the digestion of food. So when we do very slow and light breathing and we can activate the body's relaxation response in about three minutes. I do one thing when I'm working with alpha males and females, I'll start them off with easy enough breathing exercises. And then we'll do light breathing from a biochemical point of view and slow breathing and low breathing. Then I get them jogging with the mouth closed. Then I get them jogging and sprinting with breath holds. And these guys are coming into me and, you know, I don't want to kind of have this. We need to get breathing out of the woo-woo. So you've got woo-woo all over on the left side and you've got science heavy on the right side. And breathing doesn't fit into either because the science doesn't have all the explanations and the woo-woo and airy fairiness doesn't have any explanations. We need to get it in, into the mainstream and it's really about breathing for the people. And the best way to understand breathing is to actually practice it. So, you know, somebody comes into me with a stuffy nose and I'll tell them straight off, listen, you don't just have a stuffy nose. If you have a stuffy nose, your sleep is impacted. You're more likely to snore. You're more likely to have insomnia. You're more likely to have obstructive sleep apnea. And if you have a stuffy nose, you're more likely to breathe through an open mouth because you're not going to feel enough air through your nose. Mouth breathing is activating the upper chest faster breathing. And it's your everyday breathing patterns that influence your breathing during physical exercise. Your breathing during physical exercise doesn't automatically correct itself. 
how you breathe during exercise is determined by how you breathe during the rest of the day. And that's the one thing about the breath. And, you know, there is some awareness on it now, which is great. There was a paper by Kyle Kiesel. He's a professor of physical therapy from, I think it's Evansville University. And he looked at 51 individuals. Only five of them had normal breathing out of the 51. And the average age was 27 years of age. His conclusion was that if your breath hold time is greater than 25 seconds, there's an 89% chance that dysfunctional breathing is not present. Now, he used four questions as well from the functional movement screen. Do you yawn frequently? Do you feel tense? Do you wake up, I think, with a dry mouth? And do you have cold hands? And these are just symptoms. To be honest with you, you don't even need the questions because those questions are typical symptoms of hyperventilation syndrome. That, that, what, what I mean there is that your breathing can be just a little bit faster and a little bit harder. And you're getting rid of too much carbon dioxide from the blood through the lungs. And carbon dioxide is not just a waste gas. It's the primary stimulus to breathe. And if we're overly sensitive to the accumulation of carbon dioxide, we have disproportionate breathlessness. So the athlete who's gassing out too soon, the athlete who's breathing fast and upper chest, the athlete who's on the verge of a panic attack and anxiety, we need to start looking at breathing in and out through the nose, light, slow, and low. And these are just simple Simple tips. And I suppose the first thing I'd say to people is measure your breath hold time. And it's only a comfortable breath hold time. And to do this, take a normal breath in through your nose and out through your nose and pinch your nose and hold your nose and time it in seconds until you feel the first definite desire to breathe and then let go and breathe. And your breathing should be normal at the end of it. You need to have a minimum of 25 seconds. No, I love that. Um, I'm glad that you mentioned sprinting in there because I think a lot of athletes are like, well, I'm already a, an all-star or I'm already this or that. And, you know, I can eat however I want. I can sleep however I want. I can breathe however I want. Seems to be working fine. And they're really just using their genetic freakiness to get around a lot of things. But I love that study you shared a couple of years ago about the elite rugby players where once they started implementing some of these protocols you talked about, their repeat sprintability, which for the uninitiated means pretty much what it sounds like, your ability to sprint at you know 90% plus max speed, which football, rugby, basketball, soccer, you know, a lot of sports have to do this, was greatly increased. Can you talk a little bit about that? So even the athlete that thinks, well, I'm already a professional and I'm already earning 15, 20 million and I'm doing this or that, that even they might be able to find extra percentages on top of just that genetic ability. Yeah, like repeated sprintability is an, in, an interesting performance indicator, and it is a performance indicator in team sports. It's the athlete's ability to do all-out effort followed by a very brief recovery and all-out effort again. And 21 highly trained rugby union players, professional players during a peak season, and divides them into two groups. One group did sprinting with mouth open, how they would normally do it. And the other group sprinted 40 meters with a departure every 30 seconds. And they were doing eight reps per set. So they would take a normal breath in through the nose and out through the nose and pinch the nose and sprint for 40 meters, let go and resume normal breathing, have a 30 second, not quite 30 second. It might be about 25 seconds of a, of a semi-active recovery before they do it again. They practice two to three sets per week for four weeks. And at the end of four weeks, their repeated sprintability increased from nine reps to 14.8 reps. And the group who were doing sprinting 
with their mouth open had had a small change, something like nine to 10 reps before exhaustion. So here we're talking about elite, highly trained rugby union players. And to be able to get this gain from nine reps to 14.8 reps in a performance indicator, and it does apply to basketball, it applies to ice hockey, MMA um, fighting, boxing. So anywhere where the athlete has to give an all-out effort followed by a very brief recovery, we should be using breathing protocols because I suppose athletes are aware of it that they need to train hard to stimulate anaerobic glycolysis. Now, here's another aspect of it. I can get an athlete or any individual jogging in their sitting room holding their breath and we can stimulate anaerobic glycolysis stronger than a sprint with the mouth open because if you sprint with your mouth open, your blood oxygen saturation will drop down to about 93%. And you can test this using little simple pulse oximeters. You know, it's very easy to test. And if you sprint with your mouth closed, it's pretty taxing, but your blood oxygen saturation will drop down to about 91%. But if you jog and you can jog in your sitting room or even jog in the spot holding your breath, you can drop your blood oxygen saturation down into the mid eighties. So in terms of stimulating anaerobic glycolysis, whereby we deliberately lower the blood oxygen saturation to provoke the body to make adaptations. And the idea behind it is to improve the buffering capacity so that hydrogen ion gets neutralized. And this in turn then can delay lactic acid and fatigue. And breathing exercises can help. And it's not about breathing in and holding the breath. It's about having a normal inhalation and exhalation and holding the breath. And not for people to do it if they're pregnant or, you know, if they've got serious medical issues, but but it's a very safe and natural way. And we're only dropping the blood oxygen side. We're dropping it into severe territory, but we're not dropping it into the extreme. There's touch wood. People are not going to pass out. So I think it's a very good training protocol that can be brought in into, into any athlete's uh, training regime. No, oh, I love it. Um... And this, just to be clear, like this is for everyday folks. Like obviously, Jim and I work with a lot of high-end athletes and teams and sports clubs and organizations across the world, as you do. But but I mean, I know that you work with Fortune 100 companies and, and leaders. You work with, you know, artistic, creative performers. This is applicable across the board. Could you talk a little bit about, say, the stress of a high-powered businessman or woman? Um who's flying a lot or was, maybe they are again now, and now they have to do it in a mask. We'll get to the mask bit in a second and the COVID stuff. Um, but can you tell me a little bit about the stress that they're under and how that might compound a dysfunctional breathing pattern? And then in working mm. with some of these folks, what, what are some of the just day-to-day benefits in, in terms of how productive they are, how much they're able to focus, say if they've been in meetings uh, all day and then suddenly their boss calls them into an 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. meeting unexpectedly. They have to get off a red-eye flight and perform immediately when their boots hit the ground. Can you talk to us a little bit about um, just some kind of night and day changes, I would imagine, amongst, say, high-powered business folks or high-powered creators who are under a lot of pressure? I think the first thing that I would look at is sleep. And we're not just talking about sleep hygiene. We're talking about sleep quality here. It's very common for middle-aged individuals, especially men, to be prone to obstructive sleep apnea. And this is where they can have a collapse of the upper airway during sleep. And if it's a partial collapse, it causes a reduction in the flow of their breathing, their blood oxygen saturation drops, 
or they can have a total collapse whereby they literally stop breathing for 10 seconds or more. The problem with obstructive sleep apnea and the stats show that it affects between 30 to 43% of men. Wow. So we're talking about, especially as men get older now with women, it's about 9% of women up to about the age of 50, but post menopause, it increases 300%. Now, if you think of individuals in corporations, especially at a high level, you don't get to that high level until you're in your mid forties, you know, generally you need that experience. So they're for my age group and people older, and we are the ones that are more susceptible to obstructive sleep apnea, but the vast majority of people it's mis- it's undiagnosed because men, we don't tend to go to our medical doctors very often. Me too. And you know, <laughs> and it, it, it's just the way it is. And and I put this argument in, in one of the books, The Breathing Cure, and I said, I said, it's really the dentist who should be looking for the risk factors here with obstructive sleep apnea. So the first thing that I would always say to people is, if you want to perform, you have to get deep sleep. You should never wake up with a dry mouth in the morning. Never. You should always wake up with a moist mouth in the morning. If you have your mouth open, you've got an increased risk of mouth snoring. You've got an increased risk of nasal snoring because of dysfunctional breathing. And you've got an increased risk of obstructive sleep apnea. And the literature shows that none of this is new. I wrote a paper on this that was published in the Journal of Clinical Medicine in January of this year. I wrote it with two ear, nose and throat doctors. And unfortunately, there's been no research. There has been no research investigating nasal breathing. Um, some, some small, not so much. But functional breathing, nose breathing with functional breathing, there has been no research on how it can impact what's called the phenotypes of sleep apnea. So number one is I'd get sleep quality right. And also for men, all men should wake up with an erection in the morning. And it's very, very important. But men with sleep apnea don't. And what that can imply then is that their the physiology, they're in that state of increased sympathetic drive. Now, if we're in a state of increased sympathetic drive, it doesn't take much to push us over the edge. So now you can think of the middle-aged man and he gets into a difficult situation, but he's already feeling a bit stressed physiologically and he goes over the edge. You know, he's not able to, to handle that. I was listening to a podcast by Dr. Rangan Chatterjee or Chatterley. I should know his surname. He's from the UK. He's a very well-known um, doctor and I've been on his podcast as well. And he was interviewing a brain surgeon and the brain surgeon says, he says, if I get into a tricky situation, now you can imagine a brain surgeon, he's got a patient on the table, he's looking into his brains and that's a pretty tricky situation. He said, if I, if I get into a tricky situation, he said, the first thing I do is prevent myself from hyperventilating. And I said, absolutely. This guy knows it. Now, how many executives are hyperventilating without even knowing it? And what happens when you hyperventilate? You cannot think straight because all the brain wants to do is get you out of the situation. This is how we can control our breathing to control our state of mind. And even when things go wrong, always think about in and out through the nose, never the mouth. What does the mouth do when it comes to the breath? Zero. Zilch. All the mouth is, is a hole. And it's a hole whereby air can go straight down your throat, but the mouth has no functions whatsoever. And I would also say that throughout our evolution, there's very little written on this. The only time our ancestors breathed through their mouth was in an emergency. So if that was something that we were doing throughout our evolution, 
And we were using our nose to breathe at all times. And they know what Neanderthals, when they looked at the size of the nostrils of, on the nasal airway, researchers a couple of years ago said that Neanderthals always breathed through their nose, even during physical exercise. Now, we know nasal breathing increases memory and attention. For sports, it increases visuospatial awareness. Nasal breathing is better connected with the diaphragm breathing muscle. Diaphragm breathing with optimal movement of the diaphragm is important for functional movement. But also, when you breathe through your nose, you tend to have slower breathing. And especially if you have that slow, relaxed exhalation, you're in that state whereby you're in a state of balance in the autonomic nervous system. So that's one aspect of it. But I just feel that people are often teetering on the brink of symptoms because they are in hyper arousal. They are overstimulated. They're not sleeping well at night. And if you're not sleeping, there's a bi-directional relationship here. Like if we think of it this way, if I wake up lousy this morning and it, it'll happen to everybody, you know, that's the way it is. But if you wake up lousy, you feel crap that day and you're not going to be making good decisions and you're more likely to be stressed. And then you go to sleep that night. And if you're in that overstimulation, then you can't fall to fall back asleep readily. And you're waking up feeling lousy. And there's that connection between the emotions and between breathing and sleep. One is feeding the other. Poor breathing patterns make us more likely to be stressed. If we're stressed, we're more likely to have poor breathing. If we have poor breathing, we're more likely to have sleep disorder breathing. If we have sleep disorder breathing, it affects the state of mind. I think we just need to get back to the basics here. People need to realize that if you are breathing fast and hard, your mind is going to be agitated. And all the body wants to do is get you out of there. So if you want to remain calm and controlled, and when we think of the leader, the measure of a leader is not how well they do when things are going right. The measure of a leader is how well are they doing when the situation is difficult. Who is the individual who's able to pick up the ropes and to drive everybody forward, but also to have calm and collected thinking to make decisions that are, are correct for that time? But you need functional breathing because... I was in that for 20 years and you don't have calm, you're rushed to judgment, you're more likely to lose your temper. It's not a concerted way. We really need leaders now to be to realize that breathing is, is a component here as well and sleep, of course. No, I love that. Um, we're definitely going to get you a copy of our book, The Leader's Mind, when it get, comes out. We'll be out. I would to love it. Start making, they told us to start making the spreadsheet, so it'll be out November 9th. But um, yeah, Jim, if you want to share with Patrick a little bit about our, our neurosurgeon that we, yeah. uh, well, I wouldn't say ours because we don't own her, but she is on our <laughs> contacts list, maybe in our phone at least. So yeah, Jim, t talk, talk to Patrick just for a second about uh, how that correlated what he, with what he was saying about the neurosurgeon and her her kind of being a paragon of poise under intense, like potentially life-threatening pressure. Absolutely. So Phil and I interviewed uh, Katrina Furlick, uh, neurosurgeon. And um, yeah, that's one of the things that we talked about in terms of leadership, in terms of composure, in terms of concentration. Uh, when she would step in the uh, operating room, uh, her breathing was, uh, was a, you know, a key for her to get in that great state of mind and mood to perform her best. And, you know, I think that when the leader is calm and the leader is breathing properly, that is contagious as well. And so it really creates a, a winning environment. Uh, and I see that with a lot of teams that I work with. Uh, one of the little slogans I like to use is the team that breathes the easiest will usually win. Uh, so... 
you know, as you were just talking about and, and Phil mentioned, um, you know, we're all performers. And so regardless of what we do, so this could only help us at work and just that sense of well-being. But um, but yeah, in terms of composure too, uh, I, I think it's so important because intent, you know, we tend to hold our breath or uh, breathe hard and fast, like you mentioned, instead of just slowing down our breathing, breathing, maybe prolonging the exhale a little bit, and then getting in a clear state of mind where we can make good decisions instead of show poor judgment. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree with you. And the other thing, Jim, I think it's wonderful as well to take our attention out of the mind and onto their breathing. And, you know, even breathing a little bit less air to help improve blood flow to the brain because it has a calming effect. It's known since 1924. Um, breathing slower to strengthen the bar reflex. And what you said about that prolonged and relaxed exhalation, even if somebody is practicing that for 10 minutes a day, the benefits carry on after the exercise. And breathing low with good amplitude of the diaphragm, I think it's 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 a game changer. It should be taught in schools. You know, I wasn't like when I I feel so frustrated going through the university system, and I did genuinely leave my my school records can be checked that I left school. I come completely off the books, never to go back. At age fourteen, how many kids have dropped out? because of an inability and a frustration with the school environment, and yet none of these kids are being taught. Nasal breathing, you know, 25 to 50% of studied children persistently mouth-breathe. That's what the literature shows, 25 to 50%. 50% of the adult population are waking up with a dry mouth in the morning. Very few studies on it. That's only our personal observation over 20 years. Um, this is really, you know, it's not on the radar. Unfortunately, it, with, a, with the exception, one doctor was a Dr. Christian Guimano from Stanford, a French doctor. He passed away in 2019. He coined the phrase obstructive sleep apnea back in the 1970s. And he also developed the apnea hypopnea index. And I remember him at different sleep conferences. I'd be talking or sometimes our paths would cross. And I remember him standing up in a room in Bordeaux with full of sleep doctors and he said, he said, you are missing. He said it to his colleagues. You are missing the elephant in the room here. And the elephant in the room is nasal breathing during sleep. And he said that we need engineers. We need all of the professions. And he said, in quotes, children's brains are getting fried. Now, the next generation in the next 20 years time. And there was an interesting study. And I know I'm talking a bit too much about on that topic. In Stratford-upon-Avon that was published in the journal Pediatrics in 2012 involving 11,000 British school kids by a researcher called Karen Bonnock. She looked at children with sleep disorder breathing. If, if they were untreated by age five, these kids had a 40% increased risk of special education needs by age eight. And the reason being is because if the child is getting disrupted sleep or sleep fragmentation, their brain is not developing the way it should do. So that's how it's impacting children. But for adults, our brain doesn't clean itself if we're having constant sleep disruptions. So there's a lymphatic system in the body, but there's a glymphatic system in the brain. It affects adults pretty, pretty, you know, intense as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, what's tough about this too, Patrick and Phil, is just, you know, wearing my uh, mental health hat uh, as, a, as a counselor is that, a lot of these kids are, are uh, you know, 
receive negative attributions that they're lazy or uh, they have a bad attitude or they don't care. And, you know, no one wants to feel misunderstood. And then, so that's going to lead to feeling depressed or anxious or all yes. those things. And then that, you know, becomes a vicious uh, cycle. Yes. And so yeah. that that's tough is instead of being understood, they're, 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 they're blamed almost. Um, yeah. And, and then that becomes part of their self-identity. Maybe I am lazy. Maybe I don't care. Maybe, you know, I am unmotivated when they're just tired, <laughs> you know, yeah, or, yeah. you know, just they're under a lot of physiological stress because of improper breathing. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the American Academy of Physiological Medicine and Dentistry put out a video about four years ago. It's called Finding, Finding Connor Deegan. It's about a young American kid. Maybe he's about 14 years of age. He's exactly the child that you described. And they talk about the psychological um, feedback that he was getting in terms of where he was at until they started identifying he had sleep problems. Once they addressed the sleep problems, things started falling into place. But Jim, you know it yourself. You will see people going into you with depression. And when we start asking them questions and how are you waking up in the morning, they'll tell you they're waking up feeling terrible. Now, is it the depression which is causing their poor sleep or is it their poor sleep that they have insomnia and obstructive sleep apnea, which has not been diagnosed? Is it the insomnia and obstructive sleep apnea that's feeding into the depression? So, you know, there's a bidirectional. The human body is too complex. And I've seen it as well. Psychotherapy. How many individuals are going to psychotherapists? But dysfunctional breathing is not taken into any consideration. But how can you, you know, how can we expect cognitive behavioral therapy to do the job if the person is breathing dysfunctionally? And if the person's physiology is in that state of increased sympathetic drive, surely we should be changing breathing patterns to get that balance and also to stimulate the vagus nerve to improve the sensitivity of the baroreflex, which is a very important function of the, the autonomic nervous system. I sometimes feel that we in different roles that we have we tend to see our own role and we never and i'm guilty of it of course as well we don't go outside of it and that's a problem because the human body is just too complex we don't have all the answers no i love we're, that we're, we're all the proverbial uh you know the the what is it the, the five people touching the different parts of the elephant you know we need to yeah, put it yeah, all together yeah, and, yes, yeah, yeah. you know is it a snake yeah. is it a tree trunk is it no it's a <laughs> It's yeah. an elephant, you know, we got to, yeah. It, yeah, it's, it's, we got to take a 360 degree view and, and take into account, you know, breathing is part of that. And I love what you said earlier too, about um, just the, what I love about breathing and breathing properly is you're going to feel better. You're going to perform better. You're going to live better, but also it, you know, it just in terms of being such a great anchor for being in the present moment. Mm. Uh, and so it's a, it's a double benefit, you know, you get to be in the moment, uh, while you're working on these breathing exercises. So I, I love it a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like as human beings is the only way to relate to life through the, through our five senses, but how often do we genuinely bring our full attention into the present moment? And sometimes I feel it's, it's pretty, it's, it's misunderstood that people are thinking about being in the present moment because, but of course, if you're thinking about it, you're not necessarily in it. We're talking about a state of stillness of the mind whereby, you know, it's always that you're connected with what's going on around you. And I was watching a documentary on Michael Schumacher 
and it's on Netflix. Oh, I want to start I, it so bad. I, I, it's brilliant. I had, I had to work a few nights and Jim knows this because we're both night owls when it comes to our books. We have two chapters to get, or maybe one for the next book. So we're prepping for that and trying to close out while launching the next one. But I want to get to the Schumacher. It's just burning. So yeah, tell us about it's it. Brilliant. And, and he comes quite, across yeah. as a great guy, you know, a shy guy as well. And you can really, I would imagine, I'd say that he was an introvert. And I think I think introverts should be much more celebrated in this world because most leadership positions are extroverts and they're risk takers. But he said, he says, when I'm racing, he says, I become one with the car. I said, that's it. You know, literally that there's no division between him and the car. There's no division between him and the race. And it's really about putting the critical mind aside, having that ability. But that starts outside of the football field because if we have a very agitated and overactive mind, and it's not that the person has anxiety, but even say just racing mind, a lot of thoughts going through the mind and inability to bring that stillness to the mind, it's not going to happen so easy either on a football field. It really starts outside of the football game. We should be taking breathing and the awareness of it as well. Like I've Maslow's hierarchy of needs, everybody is familiar with. It's not going to work for today. We're fortunate enough, we have clothing, we have food, we have shelter. We don't have deep sleep. We don't have functional breathing. We don't have breath awareness, body awareness, mind awareness. And for today's individual, can we achieve self-actualization if our mind is all over the shop? Yeah, Patrick, can you talk to me? We went back and forth probably while you were working on the uh, the breathing cure book and also on atomic focus um just i think you sent me a study or i sent one to you and we just emailed a little bit about it so maybe we'll tie this back into student athlete mental health in a minute but um just about the the attention merchants as tim Wu calls them in in their book so you know we're talking about big tech and specifically big social media big search and yes. a certain video platform, which is really just an advertising platform masquerading as a content sharing platform. So without getting sued, <laughs> can you talk to us a little bit about the scattering of attention, the, commodi- the commoditization of attention, and what's that that is doing to the brains of both adults and kids alike? And then, you know, also what it's doing to, to our breath in, in making us less conscious of our breath. Maybe we're not conscious of a single breath a day unless it's, oh, I'm having a panic attack or, oh, my asthma's flaring up. Yeah, it's, it, I find the whole thing is so sinister, to be honest with you. Can you imagine waking up of a Monday morning and you're going to give two hours of your time to a big multinational platform? willingly and knowing that the platform has devised the technology to make it addictive like this is worse than cigarettes because of the impact it's affecting children from all ages like where is this going to go to it's so important for kids to start realizing that these technology platforms they don't have you in mind they only have one thing in mind and that one thing is the dollar that's the way it is you know, and if you were to delve deeper and deeper into this, you would see that their whole modus operandi is how do we get people hooked? How do we get people to stay longer on these devices? Because the longer you stay on these devices, the more money we make. So in essence, we are surrendering all of our attention outwards. And the one aspect about this is that when you have features that are 
making comparisons. So I put out a video today and it's got 10, 10 views. But tomorrow I want to put out a video and it's got 15 views. But if it has seven views, I'm going to feel bad about myself. And if my friend puts out a video and the friend gets 100 views, I'm going to feel also bad about myself. So it's not just that we are we are being contrasted against each other, but we're also being contrasted against ourselves. I really feel for teenage girls um, because we, we all went through teenage years. It's a very vulnerable time. And the thing about teenagers is that when you're, in, when you're a teenager, you don't realize it. That's the problem. And you don't see the truth in this. And if we think about the individuals who have developed these technologies, they are recluses, they are nerds, they're asexual, they're typically middle-aged white men. Now we have to ask, is the same personality traits, and I, this was not my idea, I took it from, um, I can't remember his name, Sam, he's an Israeli writer, but I thought he made a great point. He asked, is that the personality traits of the founders of these technology, is that filter, filtering down to the users and somebody who's going to be on that technology, they're not going to be communicating as best as they should be. They're going to be more brought inwards. You know, there's that anxiety and anxiety has definitely increased. And you could say it's, it's a coincidence, but, you know, I really wonder because when you see everybody with their airbrushed images, like, I don't put too many photographs of me on Instagram with my top off, you know, because you should get lip. We should all get lip implants. We get way more clicks and views. But it's like this, Phil. Who are the guys who are putting posting on Instagram with their tops off? Yeah, I mean, they're the it, guys with ribbed bodies, right? So if here, you look at a hundred well, yeah, photographs, mean, yeah. It, yeah, you it's know, just crazy. It's and crazy. then you're seeing that this is a reflection of reality because you're not seeing any normal individuals. You're seeing these super fit, lovely looking people, one after the other, after the other, after the other. And this then is a reflection of reality. And we don't even know if the photos are airbrushed. Yeah, so don't get me going on that whole, <laughs> I think it's sinister. And I, I think want, they should I be contributing. And they here's, should be here's... contributing to mental health um, in terms of the dollar. Yeah. 25 or 30% of their income should be div div directed, divested over to a fund to, to help kids and adults with anxiety and panic and depression and all the issues that come with that. Yeah, no. Social media is consuming all of our attention and our attention is going outwards. But in terms of life, the individual who is stuck in the laptop and stuck in the phone, he could be in a room somewhere, totally secluded from everything that's going on around him because all his focus is on is the device. Can you imagine li living your life like that? Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, it's a recipe that that's really, you know, it's spending so many years. It's, I don't know, but yeah, it's, it's there. I, I wouldn't enjoy it, put it that way. Um, but the unfortunate thing is the kids that are being targeted and I just, yeah, I, I, it really is. And that's where the breath work comes in. We are surrendering all of our attention outwards, life, family sports everything takes attention outwards that's fine but we also need to bring some attention inwards and in one of the it's brilliant to be able to do that there's nothing airy fairy about this there's nothing airy fairy about taking your attention out <laughs> it, of the mind if, if they bring think it, it onto is the breath. yeah if anyone thinks it is maybe they should go in bed with uh one of the fighters that jim works with um yes. you know or, or, or with laird hamilton and gabby reese and 
tell Laird when he's in 80 foot surf that it's airy fairy, right? Or Gabby when she's just generally being a bad A on the volleyball quarter in general. So, yeah, yeah I mean, for Laird, what was his driving force? And we're, you know, Jen's helping us set up an interview with him, with him and hopefully him and Gabby. So I'll ask him too. But what was his impetus around breath work? Um, was it survival in the harshest conditions? Was it just overall health or was it a bit, a bit of both? Well, I suppose if you, if you get dunked into the water, you, you'd want to have a pretty long breath hold time. That was one aspect of it. And I'm not sure if, if, if Laird had trained his breathing back then, but for me, when, when, I, when I looked at Laird and when I was there and we were together at different meets, and Gabby, who's I think an incredible athlete, very much, like one of the most underrated yeah. athletes of all time, in my opinion, just yes. an amazingly yeah. strong and resilient and, and athletic person. Yeah. But I, in terms like coming back to Laird, I remember him doing breathing exercises and he would push it to the point. And I think what he does is he wants to challenge the body and to disrupt the body. And he wants to see where does that take him? And he must have lived that way because there's very few individuals would have done what he was doing in terms of the big wave. And the other thing I'd probably ask is that he got into surfing and the big wave. And you can imagine that state that you are not going to have any thoughts when you are riding that wave. You're absolutely going to be focused in the present moment and possibly one of the most spiritual thing that you could do. You're not going to be thinking of the past. You're not going to be thinking about the future. You're fully immersed in the present moment. There's no time for thought. And I would say that a lot of that has carried through into his everyday life. One thing about the breath, especially when we do breath tolling, is that we generate a feeling of, if I use the word suffocation. And I often use this to get people to surrender to the feeling of suffocation so that their brain doesn't react to stress. And I think mm. that's part of what Laird is doing it as well, that it's not just about training your physiology, but it's about training your mental strength. And if you think of the pool and it's, it's tough going, I'd have to say. Um, yeah, I've never been to an experience like outrageously, yeah. even though you I, and I teamed up, you know, for the XPT manual course manuals. And obviously I, I, I ghostwrote a lot of those blog posts for you and Andy Galpin and Laird himself and others and, and mm. PJ never actually been to an experience because yeah, I've been to I was talking about it and, yes, and, and it was like walk I, in the park. and then COVID came and just shut everything down but I wanted to yeah kind well, of you, their <laughs> swimming pool is in the most beautiful place in Malibu right next to the house and I'm not sure how deep it is but it's it's pretty deep I would say that it's it's maybe 25 feet deep and you go down and then you walk along the bottom and then you come back up and you're doing different things with weights up and down. It's, it's tough going. But a lot of it is mental strength because when you're feeling that you need to breathe, you just have to kind of just push that little bit more. And there's nothing, it's not pushing it to danger limits. Um, you know, oftentimes people feel about breathing. What I would say is never hyperventilate ever before you get well, into the water. And we could get, and, yeah, we could get into that whole thing because certain individuals and certain protocols around very fast hyperventilation have become yes pretty popular and pretty mainstream and yeah. you, let's just yes. say the three of us probably share the same concerns and not to knock 
the practitioners, you know, or, or they have the best yes. of intentions too, but maybe the flaw is in the delivery, not in the intentions. Yeah, like there's a role for hyperventilation, but people need to understand what are you, what's happening when you do hyperventilation? You know, it, it's, a, it's a stressor and you're activating a sympathetic arousal and that will cause the body to make adaptations. But if you hyperventilate and if you do long breath holds, both of those are a stressor, you also need to be cognizant of recovery. So if you're hyperventilating and then you do a long breath hold, well, of course, always doing it lying down because if you hyperventilate, you get rid of so much carbon dioxide from the blood. The carbon dioxide is your alarm to breathe. And if your CO2 is very low, you're not going to feel any sensation to breathe, which will give you an ability to hold your breath for a long, long time. But that will be sufficiently long to cause your blood oxygen saturation to drop. And once your blood oxygen saturation drops down to 60, 50 percent, you're going to pass out. So that's why always doing it lying down, do it under supervision. But anytime you stress the body, always recover. You know, athletes are aware of they go in to do physical exercise. They'll always warm up first. And we do it as well with the breath. We always start off with easy exercises. We want to gently challenge the body and then we do the main event and then we'll always bring a recovery. And for people to understand, how do you stress the body and mind if you want to do that? But how do you recover is just as important. Yeah, Phil, Phil and I like to talk about that. Uh, working hard is is important, but uh, resting well is mandatory. And uh, yes. one of the things that uh, I really like about the breath work that we're talking about is you can do it in parallel with other activities. So when you're stretching, when even when we talked about kind of the evils of uh, of being online all the time, and uh, you know you could check in with your breath. And you know, am I yes. holding my breath? Am I breathing through my mouth? Am I you know? breathing in through my nose and and positionally uh, if you're on your phone like you see these exactly. kids i went to pick my yes. son up my high schooler from youth group at church and a couple of the girls not to pick on the girls but that's just what i saw we saw it at, at the hockey club gym yeah Co like kyphotic collapsed right we're gonna have these 20 year olds yeah. walking around that can't yeah. their spine's gonna be so buggered that they can't stand upright it's quite concerning so yeah and i love that what you say jim because uh, Patrick, as you mentioned, you know, obviously with Gray Cook and, and those guys um, at Functional Movement have noticed that dysfunctional breathing equals dysfunctional movement and vice versa, right? And Gray always says, if you, and he has a little caveat now, he adds on the end of it, if um, if you can't breathe in a position, you you don't own the position. And that could be a mobilization. It could be, a, you know, an archetypal movement pattern, like a squat or a lunge or something hard and fast, like jumping or sprinting. And then, and then he says, you know, parentheses, it owns you. Exactly. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about the connection between breath dysfunction and movement dysfunction? The diet for breathing muscle is not just for respiration. And when we take a breath into the body, it's the breath is drawn into the lungs by virtue of the movement of the diaphragm. So in short, carbon dioxide increases in the blood, blood pH drops, the brain reacts by sending a stimulus to breathe via the phrenic nerve to the diaphragm. The diaphragm moves downwards and the intercostal muscles, the meat between the ribs, pull out. This increases the volume of the thorax so air comes into the lungs. During inspiration, there's a negative pressure created in the thorax to take air into the lungs but there's a positive pressure generated in the abdomen. And you can think of a weightlifter. They're going to lift a weight. 
they will typically breathe in and hold their breath because as they breathe in, the diaphragm moves downwards. So the abdomen becomes like a pneumatic balloon to provide stabilization of the spine. So the spine doesn't buckle. So the generation of intra-abdominal pressure is influenced by the movement of the diaphragm. And when we're talking about the movement of the diaphragm, that during inhalation, the diaphragm is moving downwards. But during exhalation, we have a normal and complete exhalation to allow the diaphragm to move back up to its resting position. This influence, what's called a zone of opposition, which is influencing intra-abdominal pressure. Now, if you have an individual who is breathing a lot through the mouth, or an individual who is trauma, for example, can affect it, stress can affect it. Genetically, if he's uh, predisposed to anxiety, upper chest breathing. And if you're predominantly breathing using the upper chest, less movement of the diaphragm, you're not getting that, that pressure, that pressure generation. And as a result, then you can be more prone to dysfunctional breathing and dysfunctional breathing and dysfunctional movement go together. To the point that 87.5% of people who pass the functional movement screen are diaphragmatic breathers. 87.5%. So when we're thinking about functional movement, well, if you have dysfunctional movement, you're going to be more prone to injury. Think of people with lower back pain. 50% of the population with lower back pain have dysfunctional breathing. Is it the dysfunctional breathing which is contributing to lower back pain? Or is it the lower back pain that's contributing to dysfunctional breathing? Either way, we have to think of the diaphragm as that providing stabilization, but also it's massaging the internal organs. Every time we take a breath, it's massaging the abdomen. It's helping with lymphatic drainage. It's increasing venous return of blood flow back to the heart, which in turn then increases output. Diaphragm breathing muscle is also connected with the emotions and very little written on it. Uh, one researcher, Bordoni, has, has written on the connection between the diaphragm and, and the mind. And again, I always think of the population that need this the most, those people with a predisposition towards anxiety and panic disorder, and females as well. Females during the monthly cycle, so this would be post-ovulation, we're talking about mid-luteal phase to mid-follicular phase. There's an increase in the hormone progesterone and an increase in estrogen, but it seems to be progesterone is the respiratory stimulant. And progesterone would make breathing harder and faster. And carbon dioxide levels can drop by as much as 25%. When there's a loss of carbon dioxide, the central nervous system, which is including the brain, becomes aroused, goes into a state of arousal. Pain perception increases and pain, pain thresholds lower fatigue, anxiety, and panic disorder. And females are more susceptible to panic disorder than men. And even though the connection between hormones and breathing has been written about since 1915, it, it hasn't got out there because most females, if you talk to them, they are not aware of it. But yet the females who suffer most with, with PMS are the ones with the highest sensitivity towards carbon dioxide. So it's important for everybody, of course, but it I think it's even more important for females to be aware of the link between their breathing and hormones. And the one thing that you have is you have some control over the breath. No, I love that. Um, so you mentioned some things earlier that you can use, you know, the pulse oximeter, um, which my wife got obsessed with when she was down with COVID, <laughs> probably still is. Yes. Um, you mentioned, uh, you know, just 
just subjective measures like well they are somewhat objective you know the the dry mouth that kind of thing are there any commercial smartwatches or sleep trackers so someone like garmin you know that comes from a gps background um kind of partial because i'm researching a short film about one of the co-founders so kind of biased even though i don't have any a garmin watch i just have a regular wristwatch but whether it be a garmin or something more specialized like the aura ring or whoop or whatever is there any of those trackers that really that in your opinion accurately track sleep and or o2 saturation it's a good question i don't know do you use any of those or do you ever recommend any I'm or do you just so bad at technology Me i too. put the leaf the leaf device and i put it on a few times i had the aura device and i couldn't even connect it to my phone and it's somewhere in the press somewhere <laughs> so you're saying what so, happened to me with the zoom that delayed the start of this earlier is basically we share the same affliction <laughs> yes yes it's it's I just another Cause, technological cause I, person I, I think that's a barrier to some people they're like oh well, shit i've got to go out and get like this whether it's subscription based a whoop or aura or it's you know i got to drop 700 bucks on this apple watch and whatever it yeah. might be, you know, and I think maybe that's a barrier, whereas you're saying maybe that it's a lot more low tech. So you mentioned the, the 25 second plus breath hold, preferably. Are there any other self-assessments like that that people could perform? Even just to pay attention to your breathing, you know, or like I always asked a question, is your breathing an effort? Because breathing should not be an effort. Are you breathing light? Are you breathing slow? Are you breathing low? Or are you breathing hard and fast? And even ask people, like I always say to students, how, how, do you, how do you breathe when you get stressed? And they will always say that their breathing is fast and shallow. Or oh, they hold the breath, right? Like Or hold the breath, mm-hmm. or they have a regular breathing, they sigh more, their breathing can become noisy, etc. And then I say, take a deep breath. And they normally, as we spoke about Up and at down. the start, they took this full big breath. And I'm saying, yeah. well, if you're already breathing hard and fast in upper chest, does it make sense to even amplify that to help relax? And then we start breaking it down. Instead of breathing faster, start slowing it down. Instead of breathing hard, breathe lighter. Instead of breathing shallow, you need to be breathing low. And nose instead of mouth. And once people start getting that basic understanding of it, that yes, they know when they're stressed. We all know it. We all have situations and our breathing reacts. So we've all been there. And it's not a nice place to be. But the opposite to that is how we bring the body into relaxation and oh, even just paying attention to the breath. And like well, we use the tape. I know the taping of the mouth come up and I'm not sure if, if I have a sample, but I. Yeah, I'm interested. And I asked you if the beard would prevent it because I've used everyone on the market, <laughs> Somnifix. And every night I wake up with it in a gross little ball in the corner of my mouth or on the pillow. And it's gross. Yeah. It grosses my wife out. And, uh, and and then I stop I stop the subscription or whatever it is because I'm like it's crap it won't work on a beard. <laughs> no, and ours doesn't either. We use we have myo tape. Oh, okay. But well, maybe the reason I'll, that I maybe I'll, maybe I'll, was, I'll trim it just a little bit then. Yeah, maybe, you'll you know. have to. We'll send you a sample. But I brought it out because how can you get children breathing through the nose? And that was the whole premise of it. And we were working with kids. I've been working with kids for twenty years. And we have all the videos, they're all free on, you know, they're all free out there anyway. And with children, we were using this tape around the mouth, bringing the lips together, but not covering the lips. And also people with anxiety and panic disorder, they can be very apprehensive about covering the lips as well. Um, so that's why we brought it out. But that's one of the devices we use. 
Yeah. yeah. So, and it's, sometimes in combination with the breathe right, do you still use that to this day, or do you just use? No, the no, I just used it back then because I was so stuffed up for you know some years of mouth breathing. The one thing about the human nose is when you use it, your nose works better. But if your nose is anyway stuffy, and about ten percent of the adult population have rhinitis, so they have a stuffy nose. When you have a stuffy nose, you tend to mouth breathe. But when you tend to mouth breathe, you have more nasal congestion. So the best way to alleviate nasal congestion is actually breathe in and out through your nose during rest, during sleep, but also during physical exercise. Now, of course, when you're doing physical exercise, it's not about breathing to the extreme, pulling air in and out of the body. No, no, you might have to just tailor your, your physical exercise a little bit. And for elite athletes, we never ask them to breathe 100% through their nose. We, we typically ask them about 50-50 during the warm-up, um, low-intensity movement, nasal breathing, and then when the going gets pretty tough, mouth breathing. And even yeah. between sets, I found that it, you know, Chris Frankel at TRX, the former um, performance director, did a, did a protocol where he said it was called the 120, I think, like, don't start your next set. And it was partly working with Pavel and Craig Barker and Brett Jones at Strong First. Um, but it, you know, ended up being a TRX protocol. And I know Pavel now for Strong uh, strong First Endurance, you know, is saying now longer, actually, between sets is better if you want full effort, like a sprinter or a rower would not do the well i was going to mention a fitness methodology would not do the thing where you do a bunch of reps hard and fast you wait 30 seconds and you go again and then you go again and then you go right so longer but he said do not go again until your heart rate is down to 120 but then we started talking about breath and he realized actually if you can't take three to five slow nasal breaths where the exhale is slower than the inhale then you're not ready. And then he correlated the data and it was like, that is actually about 120. So pretty interesting that someone like that, you know, one of the world's best known fitness companies and obviously has a PhD and is a deep thinker. Um, initially it was heart, wait till your heart rates at 120 or below, but then it became, and, or you can take three to five controlled slow nasal breaths. Then you're ready to go for your next set. So mm. that was anecdotal, but a couple of years ago, yeah, pretty exciting to see his research on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, I would say like mindfulness, uh, uh, proper breathing isn't necessarily hard. It's just we we need to remember to do it. We and just so, don't do it. <laughs> we just don't do it. And so, but one thing that I think really helps is I used to pass out little stickers uh, with athletes that I work with in teams, uh, breathe and focus. And we talk about how to breathe and how to focus. But uh, that would be great just on something on your computer, uh, you know, maybe on the side of the screen is just have a little sticky note that's, you know, nasal breathing or something. And then you see it and it's a great prompt to get back into it. And we have, uh, looks like we have about 20,000 breaths. We take about 20,000 breaths per day. And so if my math is correct, uh, that's around 400 million breaths by the time you're 50 years old. So plenty of time to practice all this good stuff that we're talking about. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting one. Also, there's a saying that came from yoga years and years and years ago that man's life is not measured by the number of his years, but by the number of his breaths. Mm. And if you look at animals who breathe fast, they don't live long. So there is a link between fast respiration and longevity. A mouse doesn't live very long. They breathe pretty fast. An elephant lives pretty long and they breathe very, very slow. So could the same apply to humans. Now we know what heart rate variability, the heart rate variability can be a predictor of longevity. 
And individuals who are unwell, either physically or emotionally, can have reduced HRV, but your breathing influences your heart rate variability. Yeah, and I love that study. Have... That study you fa- you shared with me a while ago, Patrick, was it between five and six breaths a minute um, nasal yes. that is optimal for HRV? Can you remember that one? Yeah, hmm. so there's a lot of research in the last 30 years. And I suppose this comes back to Phil as well. You were asking about devices. The devices gives you feedback on HRV, but the key is how do you how do you optimize it? Breathing exercises and also nose breathing and nose breathing during sleep. So it's known by um, I can never pronounce it, Leirer and Chervitz, uh, I think is the sort of the other researcher's name, that when you slow down your breathing rate to between four point five and six point five breaths per minute, so say average is six breaths per minute, and that could be breathing in for five seconds and breathing out for five seconds. And breathing nose and silent. You don't have to be taking these full big breaths. This helps to stimulate the vagus nerve, which is wandering throughout the human body, secretes um, the neurotransmitter acetylcholine, which causes slowing of the heart. But it also helps to strengthen the bar reflex. And these are pressure receptors in the major blood vessels that continuously monitor your blood pressure. So we can really affect our health in terms of by slowing down our breathing. And there's been a lot of research on this over the last 30 years. So, you know, I think there's a good foundation here that, yes, there's a place for Brett. No, I love it. And just to share a personal anecdote for me real quick. So I mentioned with my wife, you've really helped her with that, even though she now thinks the lung issue was not COVID related. It was this chronic anxiety because she's had it since. <laughs> um, but I, either way, the exercises help. And she does notice that variability right now, cycles, time of the month, not sleeping as well, certain times of the month. So now I know why, or at least partly you and Stacey Sims, Dr. Stacey T. Sims should team up on that because she's doing a lot around female specific training cycles, um, nutrition and hydration, and also for kids. So you guys should do a book together. If you don't know her, I'll, I'll be glad to introduce you. But um, going back to the kids thing, where she's also helped me a lot with uh, with my kids. So my, my uh, youngest has exercise-induced asthma and stress-induced asthma. And um, so he, he did the spelling bee at school, you know, that American thing, tried to spell all the difficult words. And um, and then it managed to, to place in the top three, so went on the regionals um, and actually ended up winning regionals. But I told him, I just told him a silly little dad joke that knows, knows best. And that was to be his mantra when he was up there because these kids, they go... They take a huge breath like they're doing a barbell shrug, like, and then they hold it. And then they're like, spell the word, uh, difficulty, D I F I bang wrong. And then, and then they breathe, they deflate. No, they get the word wrong. You'll see it at the national one, even you know, it's on ESPN, like a sports some reason, but then they only release that breath after they've got it wrong and they're out. So they're up, they're up, they're up. And then they get it wrong. And then, Oh, and then they slump and their parents slaps them as they walk off the stage. So <laughs> there's this thing. So no, nose knows best is my dad joke, but also a mantra um, around that. And then also, could you talk about the humming? Because when you shared that with me, a humming on the exhale, and I tried to start explaining, well, it releases more nitrous oxide for the parasitis and all this. And he was like, what are you talking about? So I was like, all right, it just opens up the blood vessels because there's this gas that gets released. And we've tried the humming when he's been having exercise-induced asthma after basketball practice. And I can tell you categorically, it works every time without him having to take his inhaler. So 
personally, again, thank you for helping my wife with both the anxiety and, and the, you know, COVID symptoms and also with my son, both for winning spelling bees and more importantly, exercise-induced asthma because it does work. But yeah, tell us about the humming, what the heck that is and why it works and why you shouldn't feel weird doing it. Sure. Um, just coming back to exercise-induced asthma, there's probably a better exercise for kids. It would be taking a normal breath in through the nose and out through the nose and holding their nose and going for a walk or a jog, jog holding their breath. And the whole aim is to build it up to 60 plus paces over time. Mm. So if he's at 30 paces, if he was to practice five reps twice daily, he would be up to 40 paces in one week. So typically 10 extra paces. And once he's above 60 paces, he will significantly, I would expect significantly less exercise induced asthma. But as long as he's below 60 paces, you can be prone to it. The humming is... It's shown by a professor, John Lundberg, that it can increase the production of nitric oxide 15 fold. So we have this gas that's You're talking 15, 15x, not 15%, right? No, yes, 15x. And there's a gas, nitric oxide, that's produced. It's taught inside the paranasal sinuses. And when we take a breath in through the nose, we carry this nitric oxide into the lungs. Nitric oxide is an aerocrine messenger for the upper airway dilator muscles during sleep. We're carrying this nitric oxide into the lungs. It helps to open up the airways. It helps to redistribute the blood throughout the lungs. It also helps to sterilize the incoming air. So it's a very important gas. And even with COVID, there has been a lot of research on nitric oxide and clinical trials using nitric oxide to help shorten the duration of individuals infected with COVID. So there's devices now, of course, they don't necessarily tell you to breathe through your nose, but there's devices that you can um, use to harness nasal nitric oxide. Now, if you take a normal breath in through your nose, and then if you hum on the exhalation with a prolonged exhalation, not only are you going to be vibrating the nasal cavity, which causes the paranasal sinuses to empty nitric oxide into the nose, you also stimulate the vagus nerve. You're also increasing carbon dioxide. So it's almost that you're doing three in one. And then at the end of the hum, take the soft breath in through your nose and then hum again for a prolonged and relaxed exhalation. You do your best. If some people have a very low breath hold time, they will run out of air. It's not about running out of air. It's just about for, for however your breathing is, just make your breathing a little bit longer. And the main thing is that the breath in is silent through the nose. So you're having a silent breath in through your nose and then you're having a relaxed and a slow and you're just humming, humming on the exhalation. Keep going until you feel you need to breathe. Then a silent breath in through the nose and a hum on the exhalation. And that's, it's a good, you know, you could be doing this whenever you think of it. For anybody with chronic rhinosinusitis issues and for people with asthma, for people who are feeling stressed. So it's, it's a good, good approach. Well, interesting. Uh, some top golfers are known to hum. Uh, to them, yeah, and going uh, from hole to hole is why they're yeah. out in the course, is it? Well, it's good for uh, it's good for maintaining a good rhythm, it's good for uh, uh, kind of keeping your head clear of, of negative thoughts, um, and then also the physiological advantages you just mentioned. How about chewing gum? Uh, you know, you'll see like Phil Mickelson or Tiger Woods, they're they're chewing gum, and and I could see where that gives the message from the body to the to the brain um that hey we're safe you know if you're chewing you know it's just like an animal in nature you're safe when you're eating usually um 
but yeah, what do you what do you think about gum and then opening up the nasal passages and all that? Any thoughts on chewing yeah, gum? I don't know, Jim. I haven't really looked into it too much, but it would make sense that I remember I was reading this book years ago and it talked about this Spanish surgeon who was doing a lot of operations without anesthetic. He was using primarily hypnosis and his main requirement with his patients who he was operating on was that they had ink, they had watery saliva in the mouth. And I would come back to that when we're stressed, our mouth goes dry, but if we can keep watery saliva in the mouth and that's possibly what the gum could be doing. Um, but this also comes back to then kids going around with their mouths open adults who are breathing conscious, continuously through an open mouth, their mouth is dry. They're waking up at dry mouths in the morning. What's that doing to the, the fight or flight response? Really interesting. Jim, do you have any other tales of, of breath from uh, either as a coping technique with some of the athletes you've, or high performers you've worked with? Well, I just thought of a bad dad joke, though. Oh, so, do it. Yeah. Well, I already did the nose nose best. It couldn't be any worse yours, than that. No, yours maybe. was way better. But uh, breathing in through your mouth kind of sucks. So that that's that's well done. It's pr pretty bad, but well done. Um, no. I, again, it's just uh, it, it it's one of those things that just blows my mind that uh, how beneficial proper breathing is and and what Patrick's talking about uh, and and that everyone hears about it, talks about it, thinks they're doing it right, but they're actually you know again uh, there's so much room for improvement in this area and it's you know it's so simple, it's so easy, and it's and it's something we should all strive to do for there's just too many benefits. Um, and uh, so I think this is just a great discussion, increasing that awareness of uh, such an important topic that gets short shrift, short trip, as Phil said, because, you know, in some ways it's so obvious that breathing is important that we take it for granted. And so, you know, even having an attitude of gratitude about the breath is important. Uh, I love the old Zen story of the, the Zen student that's, uh, you know, he, he goes up to the Zen master and says, man, this breathing stuff is really boring. And so he grabs him by the back of the head, you know, shoves his face in a bucket of water. And so the guy's gasping for air and then he pulls his head out and he says, okay, now tell me how boring breathing is now. And so, you know, it's one of those things where we need it, but, but, you know, we don't realize it until we really need it. Destin should have put that in Shang-Chi and the legend of the 10 rings. <laughs> <laughs> the dad was a great pretty, story. The dad was pretty savage, but yeah, our friend directed that movie, Patrick. So, uh, <laughs> It's a good one if you haven't seen it. But yeah, the dad was pretty savage in that. So he probably probably should have taught his son about the importance of breath by a near drowning. You know, the usual parental techniques. What's next for you, Patrick? What uh, You've done so many exciting things. You have so many great books out there. We've already hypnotized the audience to, to buy all of them. So oh, if they don't uh, buy The Breathing Cure, it's the best 20 bucks or 15 <laughs> bucks you'll, you'll spend this year. And it's the best human performance book. You'll let the well, the first one, if you've never bought one because you think they're boring, like you said about the breath, yeah. just freaking buy it and do what it says. Even if you just skip to the exercises, pick one and do it for a month and then come back and I'll give you your money back if you don't do it. It's risky, but we'll do it. Is that, the, promise, is, is that, is that yeah. the best place to start, Patrick? I think so, because everything is in the books. Um, and you know, if you like reading books, if, if, you, if you don't really like reading books, I'd probably say is go with atomic focus. Okay. It's a very easy read because I wrote it for people with a tech. You're not going to write a book about concentration with size nine font. You're <laughs> going to have somebody with poor concentration. I have very big font. I think it's size 16 font with plenty of illustrations so that people can hold their attention. And the purpose of the book is 
changing states. That's all it is. Little tools that you can be using to change states. Tools I use myself, you know, going into public presentations. And I don't tend to use a PowerPoint. Um, I gave a talk to a group of medical doctors and dentists in Atlanta. I did it via Zoom. I spoke for 90 minutes without PowerPoint and science. And I always tend to do this because I want... I, do, I don't want somebody looking up at a PowerPoint. I always like that connection, even if it's by Zoom, to see the face-to-face. And it's really important when you don't have a PowerPoint to fall back on, that you, you can help to access that state of mind for by your calm. And it's almost that you're allowing the talk to unfold. But also, I sometimes feel, Jim, and I don't know, is it, but when, when I have a calmness of the mind, I think it's easier for people to hold their attention on what I'm talking about, that we can communicate, not just in the words, but there's something aside from the words. And, you know, you know it yourself, if you're in a room and if somebody walks into that room and if, if that individual is agitated and their mind is agitated, they don't have to open their mouth and you mightn't even see them, but you will feel them that we communicate states. And that's why, you know, I suppose for people who do have a racing mind, you know, it's, it's you can have so much control over your own mind. And I would love to see a greater awareness of breathwork. And the whole aspect was with Atomic Focus, the book is high performance and it's tools to improve your concentration, to improve your attention span, to improve your success. Because I don't think we can be successful in any walk of life unless we have the ability to hold our attention for a period of time and focus. We need those traits. Society doesn't teach us. However, the very tools that we develop to improve our attention and concentration are the same tools that we develop to bring a stillness of the mind. And I just thought of your typical alpha male. They're not going to go into a bookstore and walk out with a book on anxiety. doesn't happen. But they will walk into a bookstore and they will walk out with a book on atomic focus. But they get the same information in that book. I have a, yeah, Jim, Jim has a great story here, Patrick, from Michigan State. Jim, can you tell him about what used to be called the injury group? when you were oh. doing your and and then what you renamed it as and how that changed in terms of people wanting to get into the group yeah well it's uh packaging is so important so uh at, you know as phil mentioned so uh when i was in grad school at michigan state uh it became really clear that you know uh athletics isn't always very kind to the body uh as we all know but um so, uh, but it's a cold, hard world when you're out injured. Uh, you know, you miss your team. You're worried about whether you're going to get your game back. And uh, so we started an injury support group. No one came. And uh, <laughs> one per- not one person. Not one you. person. Yeah, I was sitting there uh, doing oh, my man. breathing exercises. Sounds like and, a book uh, signing I had once in Fort Collins. That'll knock you on your butt. No one <laughs> came. We've no all one. had a book signing like, like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> L- luckily, though, lads, if you've ever been to Fort Collins, there are more breweries per head of population than oh, almost anywhere go. in the world. So I managed to find a double smoked double bock, which is to this day the best pint I have ever had. But anyway, it was embar- It was a Barnes and Noble, and it was very embarrassing. But anyway, well, but that's finding the gold in the mud. So, but uh, 
Yeah. So we changed the name to the peak performance group. And all of a sudden we had a bunch of injured uh, student athletes that came to the group. And then we actually, and I'm not exaggerating, we actually had people faking injuries to get into the group because they were learning, you know, they were sharing with their teammates, Hey, I'm learning about breathing. I'm learning about visualization or positive self-talk or, you know, how to, you know, best way, best practices for goal setting. And so, uh, yeah, it's just so important. Um, and that's why I love the title, uh, you know, of, of your books, all of your books. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's just a, it's just a, a really powerful topic. For sure. For sure. And one we need to get out there. No, for yeah. sure. absolutely. Um, so Patrick, for those who like to follow folks online or even offline, Led gave the best answer to this question to Tim Ferriss ever. He said, so Led, where can we people find you? And he just deadpans in the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> Which I love that. So if you're not with Laird in the Pacific Ocean or in his pool torture um, at XBT and uh, people can check that out at XBT Life, where can people uh, find your work? That dreaded social media, Instagram, we're, we're on it and we're on YouTube as well and Facebook. So yeah, Oxygen Advantage is the handle for performance and for health and it's Buteco Clinic and same websites by the name OxygenAdvantage.com or butecoclinic.com. Well, you're a legend. Um, you've always been very helpful to my family and, and to me personally. And, and just, I, I've learned so much from you. And I always tell people, look, the, the three things, if people could do these three things, if they can, we're kind of partial to this, <laughs> if they can train some mental skills slash um, mental health coping strategies, if they can become more aware of their breath, breathe, breathe nasally first, nose nose best and then slow down the nasal breath especially the exhale and then if they can move as Greg cook says move well and move often and if you could just do those oh and parentheses do better sleep stay hydrated and eat well most of the time then all the tech in the world all the little performance enhancements from this 800 tool this 1200 program that's just window dressing right it's just gravy yes yeah yeah it's 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 the simple things. And people might ask, why is breathing being overlooked? Well, it's difficult to scale. It's difficult to commercialize. And unfortunately, um, that's the world we live in. But don't let that hold you back. Yeah, I, I think it's doing the, uh, the brilliant basics uh, that Phil mentioned and that you just said, Patrick. So good breathing to everyone. And uh, thanks so much. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends about the Champion Conversations podcast and rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your platform of choice. You can also follow Jim on Twitter at Gold Medal Mind. Go out and be a champion today, and we'll see you back here next week.